0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us now turn to the Word of God as we find it in the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, we'll read the verses 4 through to 12. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. This afternoon I may proclaim to you God's Word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is He called Christ that is anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I'm, uh, I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in His anointing, so that I may, as prophet confess His name, as priest present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. We the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter was allowed to declare wonderful things about you. God's people, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You heard it. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To be told that, brothers and sisters, is a wonderful thing. Wonderful for us who once, as Peter said, were no people, but now are God's people. Once we had received, once we had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is good to again reflect upon how rich we are, since we so easily take all that for granted to give little thought to all what we have received in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible speaks much about our close relationship between Christ and you. It is a most unique relationship, and I think we will never fully understand the full riches of it. The Bible speaks about Christ being in us, And we, being in Christ, speaks about the body, head, and members, and all that always in relation and service to God, our Heavenly Father, and the task He has assigned to His eternal Son, as well as to His children. Christ's office, as well as the office of all believers, Well, all that receives our attention when we see what the name Christ means, as well as the name of Christian. It will give us a closer and fuller insight into what it means to be created in the image of God. What the purpose is of our calling and our life here on earth. Why are you here? And what may God expect from you? I preach to you the intimate relationship between Christ and a Christian. The intimate relationship between Christ and a Christian. And we'll pay attention first to Christ's anointing, and secondly to your anointing. Now, we always work with translations, and as a result... Some of the immediate meaning of names will escape us. Christ to us has become a name, but actually it is a title, describing his position in his office. In English, Christ is anointed, or the anointed one. Just like the Hebrew Messiah is also Common, regular word for anointed. We could translate the name Jesus Christ by the anointed Savior. Not only do we have the language problem in understanding his name, but also the age and the culture gap between today and those days. Our society does not know about anointings. It is a ceremony or a ritual that is not readily understood without explanation. It's a foreign idea to us, unless you're familiar with the practices in the Old Testament. For Jews, the name Messiah or Christ would immediately make them think of the three offices which were familiar in the Old Testament and which all required anointings. They had, so to say, experienced many Christs, many anointed ones throughout their history. There were prophets, there were priests, there were kings. They could all be referred to as anointed ones, without a capital. They were all messiahs. But at the same time, all these anointed ones, whose positions were always temporary, pointed forward to the great anointed one, the great messiah, or Christ to come who would fulfill all the temporary and all these incomplete offices. What was this anointing of prophets, priests, and kings? An anointing took place when someone was called by God to a specific office, to a position given, imposed on him by God himself. So it is an appointment which comes from God. You could choose to be a farmer. You could choose to be a carpenter or whatever profession. But you could not choose to be a prophet. You could not choose to be a priest nor a king. These positions are offices, that is, positions to which only God can call His people. And to symbolize that such a person was that he was anointed. A horn or another container with perfumed oil like a lotion was poured out from above over him. Think of the well-known words of Psalm 133 telling us how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then it says, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down the the, the color of his robes, of Aaron. That is the anointing and the sweet aroma that penetrates the whole person and radiates from him. Okay, just like the whole person... Uh, 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 was refreshed by that specially prepared aromatic lotion, so the person was called to dedicate himself entirely to the service of the Lord in the specific office to which he was called. And the anointing indicated that you were ordained or called by God himself. And at the same time that God also qualified and equipped you for that, endowed with the gifts necessary to fulfill that office. But all these anointings in the Old Testament, all these prophets and priests and kings, could not accomplish what God's people needed. And so the whole Old Testament and all these anointed ones cried out, For the promised great anointed one to come. One who would be able to reveal the the full counsel and the full will of God. The word that would become flesh. The chief prophet, the chief teacher. There had been many priests and high priests and endless sacrifices... But none could bring about a real uh, reconciliation with God. None could intercede for God in a perfect way, being sinners themselves who also needed intercession. And so all these priests also looked forward and pointed forward to the promised one. And the only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body would redeem us and who would make continual intercession for us before the Father. Many kings had been anointed throughout the history of Israel. Some were good, many were poor leaders. But all again cried out for the one eternal king, promised by the Lord, who would govern us by his word and spirit who would be able to defend and preserve us in the redemption obtained for us. So that hope and that expectation for the great anointed one who would be all for all, who would hold a threefold office in perfect measure, that hope and expectation was always there. Sure, at one time... The Messiah expectation was stronger than at other times, but the whole Old Testament speaks of the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ. And then he came. Expectations, speculations filled the air. Who is he? Is he the one? And then in his words and actions, as we also heard this morning, he revealed himself as the one until it became clear to his faithful followers. We have found him. He has come. This is the Christ. This is the one. This is the one ordained by the Father who was anointed not with oil, but with the real anointing, the Holy Spirit. And this is what they witnessed when Jesus was baptized. Then we read, at that moment, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love with Him I am well pleased. Well, there you have the ordination and anointing revealed in the presence of witnesses. And that was repeated later on, and the voice from heaven added, Listen to Him. His name was Jesus, but His position and office was the Christ. By the mouth of the angel we were told that His name would be Jesus, but we do not read anywhere and you shall call him the christ because this indication referred to his position and office he revealed himself as such and it was confirmed by his father in heaven and those who saw and those who heard him those who believed came to the recognition of the christ you are the christ the one spoken of throughout the scriptures. You are the God-given mediator for God's people at all times. And then they praised God for it. That's where it came from. As the Christ, he was always there before he came to earth. In the Old Testament, he was there. While on earth, he was one of us and forevermore. He revealed to us God's counsel before, by the mouth of the prophets. He was our high priest before, having himself foreshadowed by the hands and the actions of the priests and all the ceremonies and sacrifices. He always ruled from on high. He fulfilled his threefold task through the temporary offices of prophets, priests, and kings. But in and through all of them, he was the chief prophet and teacher, the only high priest, and our eternal king. When he came to earth, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made the Father more fully known. He revealed the love of his Father in being sent to earth as the only Son And then as high priest, he redeemed us by the one and only sacrifice that would suffice for all our sins. He interceded for his people in his prayers. For example, the well-known high priestly prayer of John 17. He ruled as king over his people. All the events that led to his crucifixion and resurrection, he ruled over the waves of the sea. The storm in the sky and all of creation. And now he is still our only teacher and prophet. His word is still among us. And through his Holy Spirit he continues to work faith in those who hear the one and only word of our chief prophet and teacher. And he still continually intercedes for us in heaven before the throne of the Father. And we may plead on his one and only sacrifice once offered on the cross. He still governs us by his word and spirit. And he defends and he preserves his church in their redemption. He is the Christ of all ages. The one ordained by God to be our mediator and redeemer. And anointed with the Holy Spirit. Fully Qualified by God Himself to perform what we could not do. And brothers and sisters, He is still the Christ to you. He's still the one who speaks to you. The one who cleanses you from all your sins and prays for you. The one who governs, defends and preserves you. And you belong with body and soul. To Christ Jesus, the anointed Jesus, to live is indeed Christ. We live for Him, we live in Him, we find all we need for this life and the life to come in Him. All God's promises are being fulfilled in Him. And He shows the perfect image of God. He is able to restore you unto the full image of God so that you can again fulfill your calling in your threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. For that is what it means that you are called after Christ, that you are called a Christian, one who shares his anointing. And that's the second question of our Lord's Day. Why are you called a Christian? Now, the question may surprise us somewhat. After all, where did the name Christian come from? It's not a word that's in the Apostles' Creed that that we're uh, dealing with. Now, we read in Acts 11 that in Antioch, the disciples were for the first time called Christians. The Lord did not call them that they didn't give themselves that name. They usually referred to themselves as the people of the way. But other people gave them this name, probably as a derogatory nickname, being called after the Christ. And then we read about it a second time also in Acts, when Agrippa mockingly tells Paul, in a short time you think to make me a christian and the only other time that we read this name in the bible is in 1 peter 4:16 when he says however if you suffer as a christian do not be ashamed but praise god that you bear that name so clearly the name christian was in circulation at that early time already, and became the common name for a follower of Jesus Christ. And they gladly bore that name, and instead of it being a nickname, they considered it an honorary name, an honorary distinction to be called after Christ, to be considered one with him. yet the question, why are you called a Christian, may surprise us, since it is not a name that the Lord gave us. The intention, however, is clear, namely, why do you bear the name of Christ? Christian means belonging to Christ. Christ and Christians belong together. And therefore the name Christian became an honor badge. We belong so much to Jesus Christ that we are proud and thankful that we may bear his name and be known as Christians. We do not call ourselves Jesus people. We call ourselves Christ people, Christians. We cannot share in his being Jesus, Savior, but we may share in him being the Christ, the anointed one. By calling yourself a Christian, you confess to the world, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm one with him. I'm a fellow laborer of Christ. So here we confess that by faith we are members of the one body That we are so one with Him, so united with Him, that we share in His anointing. And in Him, in Christ, God the Father also ordained us to that threefold office, as it was in the beginning, but now also anoints us with the Holy Spirit, so that we can fulfill this threefold calling. Now we can be called prophets, priests, and kings again. It's amazing, brothers and sisters, that we can and that we may share in the same anointing of Jesus Christ. Not a different one, not one totally separate, but it is one and the same anointing. That is how much one we are with Christ. That is how much Christ became one of us. As such Christian is a beautiful name. And we should not make a false distinction between being Reformed and Christians as if being Reformed is being a better Christian than just a Christian. Yes, we are Reformed, but that means that you are Reformed Christians. In other words, Christians in its original and full meaning, reformed back to the original form, like we confess here what being Christian means. It means being a member of Christ by faith. You cannot be more than that. We share in His anointing, His calling, as well as the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord also poured his Holy Spirit upon his congregation, upon you and me, to enable you to fulfill your calling and your office again. Now this threefold office reminds us strongly of the position of mankind as God first created it in paradise. Adam and Eve were also prophets, priests, And kings. They were priests. Totally dedicating themselves. In the service of their creator. In all holiness. And they were king and queen. Having dominion over all of creation. Subduing it. Ruling it as faithful stewards. They were able to do so because. God created them in righteousness. Holiness, granting them knowledge and understanding. And now in Christ, by sharing His anointing, we may again return to that full, faithful service to God the Father as prophets, priests, and kings. These creation gifts are being restored to us. And we are all office bearers. The office of all believers. So we have here a whole congregation of prophets, priests, and kings, confessing the name of the Lord, presenting themselves as living sacrifices in the service of the Lord, and with a free and good conscience, fighting against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reigning with him eternally over all creatures. Since you share in the anointing of Jesus Christ and receive the same Holy Spirit, you are again enabled to do all that by the grace of God. It is time that we again are more aware of that office of all believers. For there is always the tendency to leave it up to the special office bearers in the church. And true, those are also ordained by God the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit, and ministers, elders, and deacons may know themselves, called by God himself, through the congregation. But we should keep in mind that the special offices do not annul or replace the general office of all believers. They are... uh, Temporary institution to assist us in this life so that each one is better equipped, stimulated, and activated to fulfill his or her office and calling. Paul tells the Ephesians that the Lord gave the gifts that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the church is full of office bearers, men and women alike, young and old, all prophets, priests, and kings, but to equip them for their task, the Lord granted special office bearers and ministers, elders, and deacons. Not to do the work for them, for the other bearers of the office, but to equip them, to stimulate, to encourage, to provide leadership. Maybe if we see the office of all believers clearer again, there wouldn't be so much talk and issue about women in these special offices. Brother says no one is unemployed in church. All are prophets, all are priests, all are kings, all are office bearers, and all could be very busy doing much the same work that ordained office bearers do in the congregation. All the members can witness of the Lord, confess his name, all can be priests and offer themselves to the service of the Lord, ministry of mercy, showing mercy and kindness to one another, and all can as stewards of the Lord have dominion and subdue the earth, fight against sin, fight against the devil and the rain and his reign uh, 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 with the Lord over all creatures. Now, there are those who desire the special office, but for one reason or another are not elected. They don't have to be unemployed. I think it's wonderful if you see others being faithful in visiting the sick and the lonely, in counseling their brothers and sisters with the word of the Lord, when they help out people in need, when they're active in the congregation and in all the areas of the kingdom of God, you all share the anointing of Christ. You all have received the Holy Spirit. We don't have the distinction between clergy and laymen when it comes to the office of all believers. So in that sense... You're all ministers, you're all elders, you're all deacons. And if all understood their task in the office of all believers, then the task of the special office bearers would be much lighter. Be what you, by the grace of God, are, brothers and sisters, prophets, priests, and kings, whether male or female, whether young or old. Joel in the Old Testament already prophesied that the Spirit of anointing would be poured out upon all, your sons, your daughters, young men and old men, men servants and maid servants. He says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Think again of how Peter addressed you, the congregation, pointing to our unity with Christ. And he says, come to him, the living stone. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You are also living stones, even though Christ is the cornerstone. And he calls you, the whole congregation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare. The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, that is why you are called a Christian, brother and sister. You share in that anointing of Jesus, what made him the Christ. Yes, you could say that all are Christ Christians. You're all anointed ones, members of Christ by faith. Receiving the same Spirit, being called to that same threefold office. May that become more and more visible and audible. May it become most meaningful and visible in your life that you are called a Christian because you are a Christian, one of Christ's. Be what you are. Brothers and sisters, be faithful in fulfilling your offers and calling to the honor and glory of God the Father, just like Christ, the one that you are named after, the one with whom you are so intimately one. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web